in Singapore podcast. Everybody, we're jumping back into the Word and our theme as we start the year. For every nation, our churches all around the world are talking about the idea of miracles, looking through particularly the miracles in the book of John and how these miracles point us to our understanding that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And so we're picking up in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, after these things, what things? Uh, it's what we talked about last week. He's healed a paralyzed person who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's wrestled with a lot of people about different religious issues. Uh, they've been mad at him at times. And now he's been he's traveling up back north, kind of where he grew up, and then even actually farther north across the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, uh, which he performed on those who were diseased. And so basically, you have this group of people, and if I can just show you this map of Israel, uh, basically, they were in Jerusalem. He'd been healing people there. They've traveled all the way up north uh, to what's called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, and they're crossing over that somewhere roughly in that area, maybe as far as the Golan Heights. We're not really sure exactly. Uh, and it says that he went over there, and he, now he goes up onto a mountain, and there he's sitting with his disciples. So imagine he's just hanging out with his friends. They're just spending time together up there. Uh, and then the Bible says something very interesting, right? So it's setting up this story that Jesus has somehow moved up north. Uh, it seems like we've kind of changed scenes if this was a movie and a new thing's about to happen. And then it mentions in passing, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. This kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't really tie into the rest of the story too much exactly. Uh, and so I was kind of wrestling with this as I was reading it, right? I'm, I'm trying to set up, hey, we're talking about miracles. Let's get to these great miracles that are coming. Uh, but I kind of got stuck on this verse. Now the Passover the Feast of the Jews was near. Why did he care? So, okay, well, what is the Passover all about? When we think about the Passover at this time, of course, they didn't connect it to, you know, we do communion uh, here every week in our service, and it's a remembrance of Jesus's sacrifice, uh, that he became the Lamb of God and died for our sins. Well, they're not thinking that, but for them, the Passover was very much a, a meal that was eaten, and it was unleavened bread, and there would have been wine, and it would have had those same ingredients to it, uh, but a, a central piece of it was the idea of unleavened bread, uh, bread that didn't have time to rise because they were getting ready to pass over, to cross over out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness and eventually hopefully to the promised land. And so it was this idea of preparation. And that's why the bread didn't have yeast or leaven in it. They didn't have time for it to rise because we needed to be ready to move. Uh, but it's very much centered around this idea of bread, of God, God's provision for us. And anytime you see bread in scripture, uh, it's talking about the idea of God providing for us, filling us, uh, meeting our needs of hunger, etc. And so certainly Passover would remind us of that. So Jesus now lifts up his eyes in this context, seeing this huge multitude of people coming towards him. He says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, think about this for a minute. They've just done this long traveling. They've gone through the sea. They've gone through all these places that were more inhabited. They're kind of out in a wilderness now. And now all of a sudden God goes, hey, where are we going to get food for all these people? And I don't know if you ever put yourself in, in the story, right? When you're reading the Bible, and I know a lot of people really love chosen, uh, the chosen and those different things that are coming out now that kind of help us uh, get into what it might really be like to be one of these people, to be a Philip, right? And imagine you're Philip and you're just chilling with Jesus. And all of a sudden, thousands maybe of people are approaching and he turns to you and goes, where do we have food for these people? And you're like, I didn't know I was in charge of logistics. I didn't know I was the administrator here. I didn't know I had to figure out how to fix all these people. All these people have needs. All these people have problems and you're wanting me to fix it? I'm just stuck here in the wilderness. I mean, if I'm Philip, I would be frustrated. Like, had you told me this earlier, we would have bought a lot of bread 
while we were in Jerusalem or when we were in a city or we would have been fishing a lot more when we crossed the sea or whatever. Uh, But now here I am in this kind of wilderness place where I don't feel like I have that much. And you're asking me to provide for all these other people? When God puts us in that position, I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Uh, I've had lots of conversations over the the past maybe three or four years. And in particular, I had one just today, right before uh, we were doing this, where uh, a guy said to me, you know, I feel like I'm the only one who's helping all these people in need. And often that can, we can feel like that, right? We see the needs around us and they're so great. We can just be absolutely overwhelmed by them. And to have God tell us, well, what are we going to do about it? It's like, God, I'm just a person. What do you want me to do? But here's what Jesus is often doing. It says he'd said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. This was a great encouragement to me when I read this. When challenges, you know, sometimes we say problems are just opportunities, right? Uh, I don't always feel that way, but there's certain problems that come across our plate, right? You have people in need. Right now there's loneliness is, a, is, is the greatest or biggest epidemic we have beyond any other epidemic. We, we're seeing people challenged in mental health. We're seeing people challenged in just general vision and purpose for their life. And you're trying to help so many find that purpose, find that vision, find that value in their life. It can be overwhelming. You read this verse and realize God actually knows what he's doing. God actually has a plan. Uh, So if you're watching and you're like me and you've been wrestling with, how do I help my friends? How do I help my family? How do I help maybe my church or my community or whatever it might be? How do I help people in this season? It feels like there's so much need. The good news is God has a plan. This didn't take God by surprise. He knows what he's going to do. Now, I like Philip's answer because Philip is just honest with God. Hey, man, it would take 200 denarii. This is roughly like six months salary. So you count your salary, come up, you know, about a little more than six months. Uh, Would you be able to spend that much money just to feed people one day? He says, that's just for them to have a little, not even to feed them to the full, but just to give them some little, some crumb of some kind. It would cost us six months wages. And now we're back to bread. The truth is we get hungry. We have basic, physical, emotional, daily needs that we need to be have met. And when they're not met, we get cranky. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like in the late afternoon, they miss lunch and all of a sudden they're the meanest for you. And this really nice person is suddenly very mean. Sometimes they just need a cookie. Sometimes they just need a snack. Uh, sometimes it's just low sugar, you know, who knows? But there's something that happens to us. And it's funny to me that God calls us to seasons of fasting and and starting tomorrow, right after this message, we're going to be in a time from the 9th to the 13th of fasting. One of the things it does is realize how much we value bread. I don't know if you've had this, you walk across maybe a famous Amos when you're fasting and all of a sudden that cookie smell, that, that, that addictive smell hits you or fresh baked bread, the smell hits you. Every time I'm fasting, I can smell food from like 10 miles away. It's like, you, you sense it and feel it everywhere. And man, the temptation of that, because it's such a core need to who we are, we need to be satisfied. And so again, Jesus is using this or leveraging this to talk about the needs of the people. And Philip's saying, look, we can't meet all this needs. And now Andrew steps in, Simon Peter's brother, and says, hey, there's a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fish. And then he asks a very valid question, but what are they among so many? I don't know if you felt like that. Maybe you have a little bit to share. Maybe you have a little bit of money. Maybe you have a little bit of time. Maybe you have a little bit of knowledge of God or encounter with Jesus uh, that you'd love to share, but you're just like, man, this I, what I have is so little compared to how big the needs are. Well, this is what their response as disciples was that I think is so powerful. They just stopped and listened for Jesus to lead them. So often, 
my story would end in John chapter six, verse nine. I got five loaves, two fish, but what are they among so many? I guess I'll just give up and walk away. That's not what the disciples did. They said, what are, the, what are these among so many? But now they're waiting and listening for Jesus to give the response because for us, it's too limited. For Jesus, even this limited resource, there's a potential for it to be powerful. And Jesus says this, make the people sit down. So they make the people sit down. There's a place there uh, with a lot of grass. So they were able to sit down about 5,000 men. So we don't know how many total people, but whether it's 5,000 total people, whether it's 5,000 men plus maybe 10,000 women if 5,000 men were there plus, plus all the kids and whoever else is there. So you have this field of people, okay? Minimum number 5,000, five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus took the loaves and he had given thanks. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples distributed to those sitting down and, like, and likewise with the fish. This is crazy to me, as much as they wanted. You know, generally speaking, when, I don't know if you've ever been at a buffet or a, fa- a family meal or you're at somebody's house and you're doing a dinner together and you start looking and realizing that the, the buffet lines are they're starting to run out of food uh, or you're starting to notice there's only one or two pieces of chicken left. There's only one or two pieces of the vegetables or whatever that's left. And you start, okay, I better pull back here and not eat as much as I wanted. I better make sure there's enough for everybody. Interestingly, these guys just dig in. They go for it, man. They're, they're letting everybody eat as much as they want from what really would be a meal for one to two people. And now thousands are being filled by that small amount. And when they were all filled, he said to them, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Can God take our little five barley loaves and two fish, our little amount, and multiply it to feed thousands? He can. He absolutely can. He can do, this is a miracle. God is miraculously providing for the needs of thousands with the provision that only should be able to feed one or two. That's the God we serve. Now, it's strange to me, the God who can do that now says, pick up the fragments so nothing's lost. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, hey, man, we don't even need to pick up. You can multiply. All we need is like one fragment and you can feed 10,000 people with it. Why do I need to pick up the fragments when you can make any small amount become a miraculous amount to feed everybody. Why, why does it matter if I pick up these little fragments? When Jesus says, and this is a little bit of Josh Harris theology, if I can be honest, this is not necessarily like core orthodox doctrine, but I believe in application, this is what Jesus is doing. When he says so that nothing's lost, he's not talking about the food being lost or not lost. Because that food, even if it's 12 baskets full, that's not a ton for the number of people they have. Bread doesn't last forever. It's only going to be a provision for a day or two. I think the reason Jesus wanted these guys picking up the fragments is because they were going to go do this, what it says in the next verse. Therefore, they gathered them up. They filled 12 big baskets with the fragments of just five barley loaves. And this is really important. There's actually doctrines out there. People have taught this story that what secretly happened was everybody had a little bit of food, but when one person was generous, they all got generous and they all started giving. And because everybody gave, there was enough for everybody. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus took five barley loaves and two fish. And it says of those five barley loaves, 12 giant baskets of fragments remained. There were more fragments left over than there was provision to begin with. Can God do that in your life? He absolutely can. It's a little bit of an older story, and I don't like telling older stories, but it's an absolutely true story. The first year of my marriage, I grossed $13,000. Our rent, utilities, 
taxes and other, you know, just like general, you know, like things like phone and stuff like that actually exceeded, well, plus the tithe, exceeded the 13500 So before we started eating, my total gross money was already gone. Yet in that year, we actually had savings at the end of the year because God took what little we had. And when we prioritized him, he got the first fruits of all our wealth. We, we gave to him first, always. Not because we're perfect, but because God put that spirit inside us where we believed we would take our first fruits to the Lord and he would bless the rest. God actually provided it for us in such abundance. We actually had leftover from what was not enough. God is a God who can give you so much, you have abundance and leftover from when you didn't have enough. Do we believe and do we receive? He did it right here. And we need to remember that. That's why he wanted them to collect those baskets. He wanted these disciples to remember and have this moment sealed in their life. God can multiply even our limited resource. So after the five barley loaves are picked up, it said, he says to the man um, who saw the sign, the men who saw the sign say this, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Isn't that interesting? They, they now, if this was just somebody teaching them to be more generous, you go, hey, that's a good teacher. Wow, you're a good, you're a good teacher. You, you know, that was a good modeling. You're a good mentor. Can you mentor me? Maybe you're probably a good guy. Their understanding of what they're seeing Jesus do is this man is, when it says the prophet, that's talking about a prophetic picture that Moses talked about a prophet coming after him who is going to bring in a new reality of the kingdom of God. He's saying Jesus is that king. Jesus is that prophet. Jesus is basically the Christ, the son of God. He's the one who we are looking for. He's our Messiah. Now, my question to you is how did Jesus do it? Because if you're like me, okay, I could be Philip in the story. I'm looking how to provide for others. I could be like the people coming to Jesus in the story. I don't have enough bread to provide for my family. I'm hungry here. We're coming to you because we were sick or diseased or we had some other issue. We have a relational issue. We have a marriage issue. We have a friendship issue. Uh, we have all kinds of issues in our lives, emotional issues, mental issues, um, physical challenges that we can't do anything about. So we're here to begin with because we need you, God. God, we need you. And they show up and maybe you're that in the story. And all of a sudden you see him doing miracles and you're like, man, I, I need that power in my life. I need that power in my situation. How did you do that? Now, Part of the way Jesus did that is he's God, right? And so that's what we're going to see at the end of this. Uh, but I believe he applied certain principles and taught those principles to the people following him uh, as he went through this story. Now, he crosses back over, so we're skipping ahead a little bit, comes back the other way on the Sea of Galilee, uh, and then people followed him from the place where they had seen him eat the bread, right? They ate the bread there with him. And I love what it says. It just throws this in as a reminder. The people at, uh, were at the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks, how did the five loaves and two fish become food for thousands? It was after the Lord had given thanks. I don't know if you've ever gotten a gift. Someone, pre hey, I want to give you this thing. I want to bless you. I want to support you. I want to help you with this thing. And you get it and you're like, mm, thanks a lot. You know, Lord, we're praying for $10,000 for some big need we have. And someone goes, hey, I want to sow into that. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. And I give you an envelope. I've had someone do this and really present it to me. And it's really like formal. And hey, we want to sow into what you're doing. And we believe in you. And they gave me this envelope. And I thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord, I just thank you so much for this. And I opened it up and it was a $10 bill. Now, if I was Jesus, I would give thanks. Honestly, what I did was much more this face that the lady's making on the picture. Thanks a lot. $10. What is $10 against 10,000? When we minimize 
our thanksgiving, we actually minimize the gift that's been given and we minimize the potential. If we saw the gift as a seed, if we saw the gift as in, in the eyes of faith that Jesus sees it in, we could see in any gift, in a spirit of gratitude comes up within us, something about gratitude begins to expand and multiply and bless everything we're doing. It's why it's amazing to me to watch people, some people who have almost nothing, will celebrate and enjoy the smallest of gifts. While others, we have all this abundance, we get the most amazing gifts, and we forget about them the next day. I don't know if you've ever been there when people are tearing open their Christmas presents and they got like 25 presents around and then three hours later, they're telling you they're bored and they have nothing to do. And you're trying to think, you literally just opened more presents than the entirety of presents I got in my childhood and yet you have nothing to do. Uh, Sometimes we lose the ability to be grateful. And I wanna encourage us, one of the things Jesus did so well is he remained thankful for all of God's provision in his life. And you go, well, he is God. Yeah, but he walked as a human being and he recognized even the sacrifice of this small boy to bring his meal, which was a sacrifice to the boy. He honored that. He thanked him for it. He received it with gratitude and a blessing flowed from it. Now, Jesus says this to the men. You guys are following me right now, but here's why you're really following me. It's not even because of the signs you saw. It's because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you just like having me make you feel good. And you're here for the show You're here for the stuff you can get for you that you can consume and that you can receive. And then he challenges them. Don't you labor for food which perishes. Labor for food which endures to eternal life. God's intention for us is not a temporary fix. He doesn't want you to settle for, hey, that one time God provided this one thing for me. You know, too often I've been in situations where people have come to me as, because I'm a pastor, because I work at a church, I become sort of a representative of God in their life and they'll come to me and say something along the lines of like, you know, I'm in this terrible situation. I'm hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt or, um, you know, I have this terrible physical condition or I have this relational, you know, my marriage is about to fall apart. Can you please pray for me, help me, support me, whatever. And so for a season, we begin to pray. I mean, this person becomes the person who's at church every time the doors are open, every time I call, they're available because they're desperate. And so they're trying, you know, they're, we're praying, we're asking about this situation, and I've seen it. I've seen hundreds of thousands of dollar debt, and it, and it gets canceled within less than a month by one uh, wisdom from, that, from God. And when that happened, it's interesting. I didn't see that person for a long time. Because you know what? They got the bread and they were filled. They weren't interested in the second half, which is eternal life. And I want to appeal to you, God's intention for you is not just for him to be a, a, a quick fix in your life so that when you have terrible problems, he comes in and does his little magic trick and fixes your moment. But then you go back to living your life as if there is no God. He wants to give you an everlasting life. It wells up inside you. You actually become one of the ones who's giving out life rather than just waiting for someone to give to you so you can consume. That's what the Son of Man wants to give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So they said to him, okay, so what do we do to do the works of God? We see you doing these works of God. Looks good to us. Let's do it. Jesus answers this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Sounds easy. Okay, my job is just to believe in Jesus. Yeah, I already believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I already believe in God. It's tough sometimes when you're going through a real challenge and you don't have a good answer and God whispers to you, trust me. It's hard sometimes when you're Abraham and you're watching your wife get older and older and older and you're watching your own body get older and older and older and you go, God, what's happening here? And he goes, trust me. It's hard when you need an answer now and God's answer to you is, 
Trust me. It takes work. This is the work of God. Believe in him whom he sent. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus as your savior. Believe in Jesus as your provision. Believe in Jesus as the one you really need beyond whatever. It's so easy for us to think we just need this. If I just have this one thing, if my grades just improve, if my family situation just improves, if that one child just gets his life together. But God says there's something so much bigger than that. If you'll believe in me, it'll carry through every area of your life, not just one or two moments, but everything. So therefore he says to them, They say to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? This cracks me up. They've already seen him feed 5,000 people. The reason they were there to see the miraculous feeding was because he was already healing people before in Jerusalem. Now they're asking him, okay, so what sign are you going to do to prove your God? Our fathers, watch them take it right back to fill my tummy, meet my needs, give me pleasure. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. It's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, feed me, fill me up. Let me have something I can consume. So Jesus says to him, assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My father gave you the true bread that comes from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they go, okay, cool, bread. It's funny to me, you notice he's trying to tell them, he's using this now as a symbolic communication, right? Hey, I'm like the bread of your life. I'm the one who fills you. I'm the one who gives you sustenance. I'm the one who gives is your provision so that you can have strength to live and have strength to do all the things that you want to do in life and the things God's made you to do in life. And he says, I'm that bread for you. And they go, okay, give us that bread always. We, We like bread. They're still on feed us. You will never become the fullness of what God intends you to be when your mindset is still feed me rather than feed them. It's why God asked Philip to begin with, how are we gonna feed them? Philip may have been thinking, how are you gonna feed me? I'm hungry and I'm out here in the desert. God said, hey, if you'll get your mind shifted where you become part of my people, my team, that think in terms of feeding others rather than feeding themselves, that's where you'll find eternal life. So they say, Lord, give us this bread always. He says this, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So he gives us two sort of application points that we can cling on to. He's bread, so we come to him and he fills up our needs of hunger. We believe in him and we won't die of thirst. We won't run out of energy. We won't run out of sustenance. We won't run out of ability when we're out there living our lives because we've come to him. And as we come to him, we now live out our lives believing in him. Therefore, after a long discussion about what do you mean bread and this, and they're going back and they still don't really get it. He gets to the end of it and they're like, hey man, you got to just believe me. You got to follow me. You got to give your life to me. The summary of the conversation becomes this. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard him say, saying all this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? Talking about eating you like bread. You're talking about drinking your blood like wine. It's super confusing to us. I don't, I don't really know what's going on. You're, you're the bread. We were looking for bread. Where's the bread? And they get frustrated. You know, Life is nuanced, and Jesus is trying to help them see a bigger picture, a a broader worldview. And sometimes when God's starting to give us the hard truths of life, life's not all about us. It's not all about our pleasure. It's not all about our uh, preferences. It's hard to hear. So I go, man, this is a hard saying. Who can understand what you say? Sometimes you're hard to get, God. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Sometimes God will tell you things are hard to get. That person did something to hurt me, and you go, God, what should I do? And they, you forgive them, and you bless them that curse you. 
You go, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's a hard saying. But he will fill you if you'll hear his words and believe his words. If you come to him and you believe him, he'll fill you with life. He'll fill you with peace. Saying yes to him changes you into a person that lives out a life of abundance. So it says it's a hard saying. Who can understand it? So then after that, even from that time on, it says many of them went back and walked with him no more. It was fun following you when you were healing people. We saw the big show, people having miracles. They were bread. We got free food. That was fun. But man, it's hard to follow you now. Now you're teaching us the harder things to understand. Now you're telling us it's not all about us. It's about you and your kingdom and your purpose, not just me. That's hard to hear. So Jesus looks at his 12 and goes, well, you guys want to go away also? This is an interesting leadership strategy. He's actually literally trying to push people away rather than bring people in. What a way to approach leadership. I think most people, if you went to a church where they, you walked in the door and we went, hey, do you want to go away also or are you going to be serious? <laughs> it seems like a strange approach, right? But I think Jesus is trying to encourage these guys, this thing matters. Stay with me on this journey. And I love Simon Peter's response. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Maybe it's not in our time. Maybe it's not our preference. Maybe it's not in our way. But God's the only one who has the words that really bring life. So let me summarize what I said this way. There was a serious problem. There was a desperate people who had multiple different needs. The needs were overwhelming in that moment. We're in a wilderness and the need of provision is, is, is massive. And yet there's a lack of resources in this area. That's how I feel most of my life. There's people who really need my help. The needs are very overwhelming, and I don't have enough resources. I don't know if you felt that way, but I feel that way a lot. Maybe even just for my own family, much less a community or, or the nation or the world. But here comes God's provision. How does it come? It comes when we have gratitude even in lack. If we go, thank you for the $10 when I need 10000 God will multiply the 10 Can we be thankful for what we have been provided with? rather than focus on what we don't have yet. Bring what you have to him. That's what I love. They brought those, those five loaves and two fishes had no chance until they were handed to the master. But once they hit the supernatural, creative and multiplying power of Jesus, they became more than enough. Now we get to enjoy and then very importantly, remember his abundance. How often God has gotten me out of an impossible situation. And now when I face a new impossible situation, I wonder how God's gonna help me or wonder if God's gonna help me. Let's not have any of this be wasted. Let's remember how God's abundantly provided for us. And finally, let's wrestle with what our priorities really are. Do we want the easy life or do we want the real life? The easy life is we're the ones waiting for somebody else to feed us. It's easier to be the recipient than the giver. But God's called you. You want to experience my abundant life. You want to experience my real life. Believe in me. Come to him first. Receive from him. Believe in him and walk out there with him to become part of his plan and partner with him in bringing life to the whole world? Do we actually want just a one-time fix or do we really want eternal life? That's the question we have to wrestle with. Do I just want him to fix my problem right now or do I want to get to know him? Knowing him is eternal life. Connecting to him is eternal life. I can enjoy that eternal life right now by staying connected to Jesus as I walk day in, day out. Am I content with temporary pleasure or am I really after his presence? Peter summarizes his comments at the end of John chapter six this way. He says, look, you've, you're the only one who has the words of eternal life, but here's what's even more important. We've come to believe and know you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're our savior. 
You're our hope. You're our peace. You're our provision. You're everything we need. You're the son of the living God. Not only are you our savior, but you're our king. You're our Lord. You're the only one we can worship. The only one we should worship. We have to follow you because you're where life is. And as you and I come together at the end of this message and look at the reality of communion, you know, he mentioned the Passover. Here is Jesus saying, I am in fact the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the one who gives you fulfillment. I'm the one who gives you life. And when we take the bread, we celebrate Jesus' body broken that we could be made whole. We take the cup and recognize his blood shed that we might be forgiven. Lord, I pray that as this word goes forth, we would celebrate that John said, the point of him writing this is that we might believe you're the son of God and that in believing in you, we'd have life in your name. Let us enjoy abundant life by trusting and believing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.